Restore Gospel Podcast has moved into the YouTube realm. In the last few weeks, you can go on YouTube to Restore Gospel Podcast and find our page. We ask you to subscribe. You'll see a number of classes there on the series, What Does the Book of Mormon Teach? Corey has spent a number of weeks uh, with PowerPoints, and you can watch the video along with hear the class, and that may be just a little added bonus and help in learning. The classes have gone pretty quick, been pretty packed full of stuff, and in today's episode, which is actually going to be a two-parter, we just kept going in our talking. We just kind of break down some of the things we've talked about again and really bring out the information as to how does it work in the inside with the inner man. How are these things, these things that was bring, being brought out in the Book of Mormon, going to change the inner man and prepare us for the kingdom of God? So we hope you enjoy. Uh, this is part one entitled Enticement, Entrapment, and Freedom to Choose. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Just a little catch up. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we recorded a podcast together, although Corey's been teaching at Colburn Road on Sundays. We've been trying to move into the world of YouTube, and uh, he's been learning a lot of technology and um, getting the class videos up so you can watch those and see the PowerPoints and things. And and the topic has been just kind of what we've been talking about here, uh, only on a different level. What does the Book of Mormon teach? The message of the Book of Mormon. Hey, Corey, we had a sermon today at Colburn Road, and the guy that was talking asked a question, or basically told us he, he's a scientist, and so his whole world of education is about asking questions and trying to find answers to those questions and experiments. And he tied a lot of that into the kingdom, but, but one of the things he talked about was, he, well, he asked us, are we asking questions? And I think when we sit down to study the Word, and just as we go about our lives every day, when is the last time we asked ourselves a question um, of eternal importance. This morning, I was driving with my wife. We got up, and uh, she, of course, we were getting to the church early to get things set up. Driving down the road, and uh, a song came on the radio that reminded me of her. It always does when I hear it. And I was thinking about this lady sitting next to me, and we had been talking in class about gender and how um, the Hebrew words describe God, sometimes in female, um, from a female, feminine aspect, sometimes from a male aspect, but but that he wants us to understand him as we're created in his image, both from uh, those those gifts and qualities of of a male and those gifts and qualities of a female. And, And you've been bringing out mercy and justice so much in the Book of Mormon, and, and how do we get this idea of mercy and justice from the pages of the Book of Mormon? Because it's a very clear message. And how do we ask the right questions about these things so that they become internalized and they affect our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with Father in Heaven? Well, this morning I was driving 
And as a song came on, I thought about this lady sitting next to me. I, I turned to her and I said, Kristen, you have given me more grace in my life than any other person that I've ever met in this world. You have, uh, you know, you know, my, my darkest, darkest secrets, my darkest, um, places in my heart. You've seen the worst side of me, you know, my struggles, and yet you never judge me. You constantly uplift me. You remind me of the good that's there and the eternal battle between good and evil and how that goes on in each one of us. And you've just given me such grace in my life. And as I said those things, I thought very briefly about my father in heaven. And I thought, if I can believe that he, as much as my wife has given me grace, that he wants to do, and he is doing that, even so much more on a higher level, and that he's on my side, and that he is continually reaching out his arms of mercy to me, asking, you know, reaching out, giving me that mercy. If I can really believe that, like I've witnessed from my wife, would that change the way I view my Heavenly Father? Mm-hmm. And the problem for me is I haven't been raised in my culture and my religion to view God that way. Um, I've always viewed God as this God of justice and judgment and that um, that I'm going to be living on some star glory in the, the heavens for eternity because I'll never measure up to the best man. Um, I'll never be as good as a Moses or, or anybody else. And so the message of the Book of Mormon, um, somehow we have to ask the right questions. As I was reminded today in that sermon, we have to ask the right questions about this information that's contained in the Book of Mormon. Is it, and I think that's an important question, is God's mercy strong enough um, is it? Is he is he extending that mercy to me and that grace like my wife has extended to me here on this earth? Mm-hmm. And that's a question to think about. You know, in those words you mentioned, the God of justice or the God of mercy, the <clears throat> the idea of Adonai is something that um, we th- we associate with mercy. But there's another aspect to it that I learned recently. The word Adonai is likened to a judge as well, but it's a judge who is seeking an opportunity to to show mercy to the guilty. In other words, it's like, hey, if, if there was a kid and he was, did some juvenile act of delinquency, and yet he's been a good kid, but he's made some mistakes— it's like the judge who's trying to take it all in and say, yeah, but I can see your heart is good, even though you messed up and you ran around with these kids and you did the wrong thing, you know, and I want to give you a chance. That aspect of looking for the good versus just saying, no, you spray painted graffiti on this, you know, this 90 days or whatever, that trying to trying to take it all in and weigh and look and seek for the good was this aspect of the Adonai merciful judge. And I like that because it's like what you say, it's like, he, more so than we can feel and believe, I think he is that judge. He's like, no, I want to find the good in Mike Barrett and Corey Stark. I, I, I do seeking for the good. Yeah, that's um, so that that changes. I think that changes our relationship 
with God, if we are able to put our trust in that, that that really is who he is. Um, I don't know if any scriptures come to your mind uh, on that. We've shared many of them, but sometimes we go through them and, um, and don't talk as much as maybe we could as deep about some things. But I, I wonder... I wonder what keeps us from, we've talked about this before. One thing that I believe keeps us from loving um, each other, well, I know it does, is our view of God. And we've talked about this several times, but when we see God as this God that's measuring every good act and bad act and and every um, um, dark place in our hearts constantly, we... we, we do little things on our own to um, disguise or to um, view things differently than they really are. We, in other words, we don't want to come to terms with who we really are, and so we begin to treat other people. So if we can see the faults in other people, we start to feel maybe better about ourselves or where our standing is with our Creator. And God... Um, as much as we want to measure each other up and, and say, I'm not as good as that person or this person, God doesn't, doesn't look at us that way. I don't think the scriptures say that, but, but do I really believe that he does? Is that really, uh, ingrained in my heart? How do I look at, at God and, um, and who he is? You've been teaching so much about the importance of seeing God and how the Hebrews viewed God and how that should affect us and how we view him. Yeah, I think there, you know, this is something I'm learning right now too, because like you, I think we grew up with a, uh, I don't know if it's specific to the restoration, but I think the the Western or Gentile interpretation of scripture is limited to these views that are kind of uniquely ours, like, well, God will only you know, God is only good and God is only this. And it's like the, the people who wrote these scriptures were holding their hands didn't see that. And now I'm not saying that God had a dark side or a unreliable side or anything like that. It's it's just that they didn't question God so much when bad things happened, you know, this opposition and all things the, the way we tend to. In fact, they planted that as the foundation where you, you begin life like Lehi teaches his children, understanding, no, there's going to be an opposition and everything. You know, you're gonna have brothers who take care of you like Nephi, and you're gonna have brothers who are rude to you like Sam or like Laman and Lemuel. And this, this is the preparation he gives his children. But I think their view of God was reflected in that more that they didn't, um, they, they wilted less from the from the trials in life. That even their recognizing their own darkness within them, they realized no, God still sees perfectly, and He's not limited like like we are. You know, touching on something that you mentioned just before we started recording the sermon today when um, he asked, you know, does anyone know how, you know, a a plant processes the light and everything? I was in a a science major in college, and I would have to say that that question you just asked was one of the things that, not that I ever doubted, but one of the things that cinched it for me is when I was like a senior in college in biochemistry when to the depths that a senior in college can understand, not like a postdoc scientist who've been studying something for 30 years, but when all these chemical relationships and the physical aspects of what was happening, when a, 
when a human or a mammal um, respires, breathes, when we when we breathe in oxygen and then we breathe out CO2, there's a certain process that our body goes through where that presence of the oxygen and it's binding to the hemoglobin and the presence of iron and all these things goes through our cells to release energy. And by that we have light or we have life right from the energy that's created from this process. But when it, that CO2 goes out and then it's absorbed by the plant structure, the plant goes through a reverse process, almost identical, but it uses different components to what happens in our releasing of energy, they they take the CO2 and they break the molecules apart and they create this oxygen and send it out. But while they're while our job is to gain energy and then use it in in our cell respiration, their process is to um, recombine the cells to put energy back in so we can use it. And the only way that happens is that light has to be present. There's got to be a, an an endless supply of this infinite light without it, the whole process breaks down. And I thought about that. The reason this cinched it for me was because I thought about our sin in relation to that we have this sin that, you know, it's kind of like we're, we're doing in our, in our lives here, but we have this savior who takes this sin and it's the light of the heavenly father that keeps the process going in a sense, you know, the, the, the bad that we produced, if you will, is, is absorbed by the good that he is. And, and he puts this life back into us, but it takes light, you know, like this eternal light of God to keep it all in sync. I didn't. Yeah. So uh, Peter uh, mentioned today, the, the speaker today mentioned the, how does the light from the sun get converted to energy by the plants? And uh, so if, if we're breathing and off, the word is photosynthesis. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if we're breathing out CO2, too much of that poisons you, will poison you, right? Well, there's, you know, it's interesting. There's always a balance of O2 and CO2 in our systems, but our the CO2 is produced when our bodies burn energy, right? You know, it just happens. That's And it's a byproduct. And too much of it, exactly like you say, you know, our, our bodies can't live in a 100% CO2 environment, right? Right. Yeah. But the, but the plants convert that back into oxygen. Yeah, yeah. They strip off those carbon atoms and, you know, it's a reverse process where we have... Um, iron that has to be present in this hemoglobin structure. Well, they need magnesium and it does the reverse to the molecules. And it's fascinating on a physical level, but there's to me an obvious spiritual level, spiritual parallel rather of it all, you know, that this, this whole world is existing, you know, the, the, the plants taking our byproducts and turn it into products we use and this, this give and take, and it's all one. I, it's just, Things like that made me realize, no, there's there's no way this just happened, you know, <laughs> in the detail that it happened. Well, you mentioned, I, I just thought today we could just talk. We don't have any any uh, planned agenda, but the last few classes at Coburn Road, and if, if you haven't seen them, you can just go to Restore Gospel Podcast uh, on YouTube, and they're all up there with the PowerPoints. You said, Corey, uh, I think it was last week, you started talking about the opposition in all things. Um, one of the videos you played was, uh, it was a video with Ravi Zacharias and another man, and uh, most people know that name, but just a Christian um, minister, preacher, theologian, author, very well known. A man asked him a question, why 
Adam and Eve in the garden and you know, why did they have to fall? And it feels like we're just all, you know, God's just set out this place. So we're all acting this out and what's the purpose of it all, you know? And I rem- I think it was, uh, well, was it Dr. Dobson that wrote a book? What happens when, when good things happen to bad people? Uh, there's a lot of books like that out there, but one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest, uh, comments by people who are either atheists or mad at God or don't like him is how can God allow so much pain? You know, I was watching a, um, a movie this week and one of the actors and in the movie, one of the lines, one of the main actors was asked, do you believe in God? Just point blank. Do you believe in God? And his response was, when I see a rainstorm or a sunset or the fog in the morning, something to that effect, said, yeah, I believe there's a God, but he was a homicide detective. He goes, but when I look at all this, I think he sat down and took a break a long time ago and just doesn't give a bleep Mm. anymore. And that was, um, but that's honestly the feeling of a lot of people in this world that where is God? You know, where is he? But, but you brought out the answer. So this minister tried to answer this question and he really went around it a long way. I I could see what he was doing, but you brought out a scripture in the Book of Mormon that points right to the answer. And the answer was, why? Why did Adam and Eve fall in the garden to bring about righteousness? Mm -hmm. Do Do you have that scripture? Yeah, it's all in Lehi's training of his children. And the second book of Nephi, uh, chapter one, in the RLDS version, um, he begins speaking to his son Jacob, in, uh, and it's around starting in the verse 60, 61 in there. And then the part of it on the opposition uh, continues all the way through. He, he mentions opposition like four times in this discourse to his son, but he, he teaches this profound truth that answers this question. And, and Lehi teaches this profound truth that includes the story of Adam and Eve. And he said, all these things had to happen. There has to be a thing, an opposition for righteousness to occur. And he said, if there wasn't an opposition, this is First Nephi 1, verse 82, if not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass, neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery, nor good, nor bad, and all things, for all things have been a compound in one. And so it continues to describe that, hey, if if there wasn't an opposition, uh, life would have been a total limbo. But it's this opposition that allows us to then act for ourselves. And, and jumping ahead to verse 97, he says, Wherefore, and find all the things he created, it must needs be that there was an opposition, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet, the other being bitter. And for this reason, wherefore the Lord gave unto man that he should act for himself, wherefore man could not act for himself, save that it should be enticed uh, by one or the other. And so he's somehow teaching that this enticement to do good or bad is what gives us the opportunity. Um, it's like when you exercise, you know, if your muscles don't ever push against a resistance, whether it's running and moving your body or weightlifting or whatever, you know, they, they don't grow. And it's it takes that resistance, I, I guess. Maybe that's an analogy. And, and the scriptures imply that 
in order for us to be able to return to God. And in fact, it even goes on very specifically to say, in order for the atonement to have even occurred, there had to be an opposition. But the difference is we are free to choose in the middle. That's part of this eternal law. Two eternal laws. There's going to be an opposition in this life always, but we're also always free to choose between the one or the other. You mentioned today in class about how a dog, your dog, you know, had a squirrel in his mouth and he was happy and then he saw another squirrel and he threw that away and ran and, and got the other squirrel. And that probably would go on all day endlessly because that's what dogs do. They're programmed to chase squirrels and, and other critters and things like that. But that we have, we have something given to us because we're created in the image of God. So, repeat, today at class you also said something about how God made the animals, the flowers, the birds, and all of these things. And that was kind of all into one category. Yeah. <clears throat> and then he created man in his image. I I read that from um, one of these Hebrew Bible commentaries. And um, you got a Hebrew Bible this week. And, I did. And is it that Stone's Yes. One? Well, it's actually in the preface of that. And that, it was fascinating. Um, maybe I can put a link up on the on the podcast notes for that. But... The person who who was kind of the editor of this entire Hebrew Bible pointed this out that, you know, the, the Jews believed many things were one and there was a balance to the one, kind of like darkness and light, a day and a night. That was all one. Um, the heaven and the earth was all one. But he, he talked about the whole creation, to, to your point, Mike. All the universe and everything in the universe was created and then man was created to occupy it. And it's like, that's everything in all of creation, take the human part out, is one thing. And then the humans created in God image, God's image are the things, the thing that's different about it. And, and you know, you, you, you consider that for a minute. And just to dwell on that for a minute, you think about how important it is that we respect life and the issues facing our country socially and morally that they, they have been now for decades, but, but things like abortion or, or things like just, you know, not having any regard for each other as humans. And when you realize, no, all this creation around us that we're somehow being forced to worship the climate and the environment and all these other things, it's like, the important part is the people, right? And, and the people that God made to dwell in that we have this, um, you know, sacred view of life and we have this sacred view of each other because we're creating God's image. Right. And all that is thrown out the window now, right? When you elevate everything else above human prospering. Yeah, the Bible Project for the last several years has really come out uh, and made it clear on many occasions in different series that God's purpose for man was for us to rule in in his image to rule creation like yeah. he would rule it to learn how to how to rule here to learn how to live and prosper here as he would and he wanted us to be rulers of his of his kingdom in his image with with his attributes and traits as we learn to treat each other like that yeah. co rulers he created us to do that he wanted yeah. us to be that you know you think about that in the sense that Adam's first job so so to speak 
appears to have been to name the animals and how God didn't, you know, like say, okay, Adam, you need to call this a dog and you need to call this a cat and you need to call this a squid. You know, it's like Adam's saying, mm, this is funny. I'm going to call it squid. So God announces to the angels, it shall be squid, you know, <laughs> because, because he gave that authority. Uh, you know? Holler monkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, duck build blood uh, plus. <laughs> that could be nothing else than a flying squirrel. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's that's so. You talked about that today. Um, so we were created to rule in His image, um, and part of that image is that we have the ability to choose, but we also have the ability to be enticed, yes, um, to the one side or to the other. So this is a really important uh, teaching of the Book of Mormon that answers this this question that this man and that not just the man this man at this huge conference you know there's a mic in the audience he stands up he asks the question that uh that is um a, a question that's been asked by millions of men throughout time probably why why all of this suffering what's the purpose of life why did god allow us to fall in the garden and and on and on and theologians have tried to answer it through the years but but as you just read in the Book of Mormon, it says, because without it, there could be no happiness. Yes. And in yes. another place, the Book of Mormon says, man fell that they may have joy. Mm-hmm. So it says we are to be enticed, which which leads us to this other word I wanted to, to talk about today. We're just kind of, I'm, I'm just touching on some things. Uh, this is kind of like a coffee shop talk here. Today. Yeah, of the last few, just... the last few classes, I just jotted down some notes, but this word affixed. Talk, let's talk about this where we, we we touched on it a little while ago. What is that? That's, is that in Second Nephi as well? I want to grab my yeah my Book of Mormon so, here. You know, I, I like what you just said, Mike, about this idea that um, our I guess this enticement was meant to be because there's a there's a oh concept. You in fact you said this on a podcast some time back where you know it's funny it was like okay everyone out of the pool you know like Satan somehow snuck into the world and the garden's corrupt now you right. know it's like <laughs> we, we sort of have this idea like everything would have been fine if Satan just hadn't of what and and then it's like no it's not that way you know for whatever reason Satan fell which we have some scriptures I don't know that we have the whole story on that necessarily but but <laughs> Lehi simply writes it seems like an angel fell from heaven, yeah. right? I'm quite sure we don't have the whole story, but we ha- we have what we need to know. <laughs> what Apparently, God what God thinks we need to know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, this whole idea that you know Satan didn't originate sin. You know, a scripture that we never quote, Mike, is uh, the one that, uh, in fact, the Jews would quote it, but Christians don't seem to. It says, "I'm good. I'm God. I create." light i create darkness i create evil you know all these things it's like that's a scripture i think it's from isaiah i have to find that one here Mm -hmm. but we don't we don't look at god that way but this whole idea that the ability to be enticed existed from the beginning of creation and yet there's no law dictating you have to do this or the other because that would make god an impartial god in a sense this whole idea that the book of mormon puts forth is so beautiful because it lays the perfect foundation for everything that's presented in front of us in life, that there must be an opposition in all things. You know, if there's a North Pole, there's going to be a South Pole, you know, speaking physics. But this is more, all it's all geared to a spiritual sense. If, if there's a, a darkness, there can be a light. If there's 
there's something evil, there can be something good. But in the end, we're like this gymnast on the balance beam in the middle. And it's like, yeah, we could fall to either side. I suppose it's a pretty narrow beam. Um, and that's why with this scripture talks about a straight and narrow path for us to be on. But yet there's no law stating you have to believe something. Now we're, we're judged based on the out, the results of our beliefs, but this idea that, that we're in the middle and we're free to choose has to be the eternal principle from the beginning. And that answers that question back to the garden and why so many theologians have a hard time with this is because the, the Jews knew this. They understood it. it. It's evident in the in the Book of Mormon that that had to be the plan from the beginning, that this God who can create light can also create darkness and puts us in the middle to choose. Yeah, and happiness and joy come from that. Um, yeah. I was thinking this, um, maybe we should just for a minute talk about this word enticed and what does that, what's the, because that's one of those words you hear, but what are we actually talking about? Men men were created so that they, they could be enticed to do one thing or the other. Yeah. They could be persuaded. They could be, what, what do you think that word uh, means? Um, so 2 Nephi 1, mm-hmm. verse 199, 100. Let's, let's open that up. And um, Nephi, or Lehi rather, is the one speaking and he's um, he's kind of concluding all these uh, ideas that he's been sharing about the opposition and all things. Um, but he he says it must needs be an opposition. This is the end of ninety seven. Um, well, starting at the beginning of of ninety five, what ninety five does is it's. It's breaking over in where there's a, it's a building parallel where uh, the previous many verses of saying, hey, if there wasn't an opposition, everything would have been like dead. Uh, There wouldn't have been any corruption or incorruption, as the scripture says, life nor death, happiness nor misery. All these things would have been created for naught. It would have destroyed God. The the wisdom would have been destroyed. God and His eternal purposes, uh, the mercy and the justice. He said all this thing would have gone away. And he said, and if these things are not, at verse ninety two, he says there is no God. And if there is no God, we are not. Neither the earth. Um, this is a little bit of the reason I shared that Ben Shapiro clip today because, in in Ben's articulate way, he summarized all these things without even knowing he was reading from the Book of Mormon when he was confronting the atheist. But he said, but he, he concludes now and he says, but in 95, he says, but I'm going to tell you these, this free prophet of learning, there is a God and he created all things, both the heavens and the earth and all things that in them is things to act and things to be acted upon and, and to bring about his eternal purposes in the end of man after he had created our first parents and the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air and then find everything that was created. So he said, right there, he separates our, the people from the beasts and the fowls and everything else that was created. He said there had to be an opposition, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet and the other being bitter. Wherefore, the Lord gave unto man that he should act for himself. Wherefore, a man could not act for himself, save it should be that he were enticed by the one or the other, so we we see that word enticed kind of had to build up to it, but so know, what does that what does that mean? You know, it's it's not the word tempted. 
right? Because, you know, God says, hey, I'm God, I don't tempt. And, and tempting in, in terms of to draw you away to do something evil. But enticed, I think, it to me, this means more like to to be able to have the chance to consider, like to be presented with everything and make a decision. In, in law enforcement, there's a word called entrapment. Mm. And it's, uh, it's a very fine line on what will allow uh, something to be admitted in court as it was following proper procedure or if, um, or was, what they look for is this, would the person that committed the crime have done so if if you hadn't, I guess, for lack of a better word, enticed them. Mm-hmm. So if there's a bunch of ladies on the side of the street, you know, in the bad part of town who are uh, prostitution and a, a cop uh, dresses up as a prostitute and a man comes up and says, hey, I want to pay you for whatever you'll do, uh, then she can arrest him because he did that on his on his own accord. Right. But um, let's say a cop walks into a coffee shop or whatever and sits down and there's just a man there drinking his coffee and working on his work and she starts talking to him and said, hey, you want to you wanna go out back and do something? Let's go, let's go, let's go do something. No, no, I'm good. No, come on, come on. And then he gives in or whatever and then she arrests him. Well, that, that guy wasn't out there on his own accord looking for that kind of relationship to commit that kind of crime. That was kind of put into his mind by a police officer. Yes. And then and then continually he was acted on by her until he got to the point that he gave in to temptation. And, and so then to be arrested would be illegal. And if you have a good lawyer, they would say, well, that's entrapment. Because when he got up that morning and went to the coffee shop, there was no idea in his mind that I'm going to find someone that I can pay to have relations with. And so that would be entrapment. So when you're talking about enticement, yeah, that's a is, good it, point. is it, uh, you know, is it evil coming along and the God says, okay, go up there and you know, make this person do something that they normally wouldn't want to do. And I'm going to allow that. That's why I'm just getting down. I'm mean, not trying to be silly, but looking no. at what does this mean as I'm a human going through this world? Cause God set up this system where I can be enticed. You know, that's a, that's really a good point that it's, it's not the word entrapment and God doesn't create that. It's as if, you know, well, take it back to the garden. God gave Adam and Eve instruction not to do this, but he said, but here you go get to live in the garden, right? It's kind of like if someone said to that man, hey, coffee shop's on the end of the street. You know, there's some good good opportunities on that street and there's some bad opportunities. You need to, you need to be aware where you're going when you go to the coffee shop. And armed with enough information, then, you know, he has to make his, or she, make, that person makes their decision walking down the street. What, what, what am I going to subject myself to, right, based on the desires of my heart. And so in the end, what's interesting is that the part of Satan and Eve's conversation that we have recorded from Scripture is is brief, but you see how the um, there's no entrapment. It's, it's, it's not that at all with Eve. It's simply there's an enticement where Satan's like, hey, did God really say you're going to die? You know, hey, look at this food. It looks good, right? And then, a, then the rest of it, we somehow get this third person, uh, whatever Eve's contemplating in her mind of, 
well, I, I could see that it did look good for food, and then I tasted it. It tasted really good, you know? And you, you get her thought process through it. But in the end, it's like God had given the instruction. Satan had caused it to become appealing, and Eve made her choice. And that's and that's the key, and that's where the danger lies, I believe. Um, so I would just say that a just God didn't allow Eve to be in a position that um, she, she wasn't armed without knowledge. Yeah, and she, um, he didn't say whatever, um, the fact that you're going to partake of this fruit from this tree, this is going to be stronger than anything you could, you could bear. This is like you, you have no choice in this. The enticement's going to be so strong that there's no hope in, in this world right. anyway that you would choose right. Right. But there has to be um, an opposition. Sometimes I think when you say there's an opposition in all things, I instantly go to like the negative. Like, um, you know, I had a good spiritual experience at church before I even got home. Uh, the devil tempted me to go out to eat and whatever, you know, at a bar or whatever, who knows. But I always think of it as a negative an opposition in all things. I'm having a good day. Next thing you know, I'm looking at a street sign and having lust in my heart, you know, from whatever's on the billboard that I look at it the negative way, but an opposition in all things is also has to be. If God's really a loving God, he's not, then he has a responsibility as a fair and loving father to entice us to do good. So like it's, it's the, it's the flip side, you know, it's really cool. These laws are built into everything in this world, Corey. There's so many things that bear witness of him. I just, I just learned, we learned this a while ago in a video, but uh, my son has actually, um, actually witnessed this firsthand when you uh heat up a a night he's forging metal so when you forge metal to a certain temperature it no longer is can be magnetic you can't a magnet can no longer attract it and when you put this uh demagnetized metal into the fire and then you put it into the oil or the water and you quench it which means you instantly cool it down from this really hot temperature it gains its magnetism again and this is where the knife is either going to come out and it's going to be bent or it's going to come out with a good quench and be absolutely straight and you won't have to do any more work, you know, trying to, to straighten it out. And we found, they found, or people that do this believe this and have seen it, that you have to know exactly where north is when you pull it out of that and you hold it towards the north mm. so that it doesn't bend because it's going to bend from the magnetic north towards the magnetism of the earth. Uh-huh. It's all, in other words, that metal is going to be enticed, really, wow. to go to the left or the right based on where north is. Interesting, interesting. Um, well, you know, you, you mentioned this, Mike, and I got to throw this in. You know, there's a verse in the Doctrine and Covenants that I think helps us to know when we're being enticed. We have options, but we have to know the word to know we have options. This is Doctrine and Covenants section ninety two one a. Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, whom I love. And whom I love, I also chasten, that their sins may be forgiven. For with the chastisement, I prepare a way for their deliverance in all things out of temptation. And I've loved you. you know, that, that statement that when you're chastised or when you're tempted, I've prepared a way out of temptation. You know, for years, I, I remember doing this, especially in my college days, when I feel tempted to do something, I would say, Lord, show me the way out of temptation, you know, and I, cause I believe this scripture taught us that 
No, we simply can call on God. Now it's still up to our will whether we want to give in. You know, I can I can call on God. Hey, help me to not watch something I shouldn't watch on TV. But it's so easy to still click that little thing with your button, the little channel changer with your thumb. You know, it's like it takes zero effort, zero pressure. It's like my will to overcome that is much more difficult than just restricting my thumb. You know, so the heart, mm, the heart. Exactly. I, I yeah. have to. I have to be willing to realize that. The tugging inside of me, like Eve's like, I want to find out what that tastes like. It looks so good. And then to find out in the end that taste wasn't worth it for all the spiritual, you know, suffering they went through. And that's that's the key. What Eve what what Eve went through there had to happen. It had to happen for her to have happiness and joy. And that is just a mystery. I, I really want us to think about think about this for a minute. She had to fall. She had to give in there to have happiness and joy in the end. And every one of us has to get to the point that we quit making excuses for ourselves. We quit saying, I'm really not that bad. Um, we quit saying, uh, look at other people and I'm better than them. And we realize that what you just said, something's going on inside of me. It's not my thumb hitting the remote, going to the channel to watch something I shouldn't, but there's a tugging inside. There's a tugging inside. And that tugging is that enticement to do evil, uh, to do things that aren't, that are going to drive the spirit away. The only way to be enticed the other way, uh, not always the opposition in all things. How do I lean into the opposition against evil, which is righteousness, and this sounds very, this may sound very simple, but this was something that came to my mind this morning, Corey. It's, it's just amazing. I was driving and, and then the sermon day was about asking the question. And I was, I was in my mind, we just had the radio on. I was just talking to God this morning, asking a question and saying, God, I can't, I can't go through this life and never, never um, find a way to just long for righteousness and crave righteousness without you, you're my only hope for that. But I also have to get to the point that I realize that I need that, that that is my only hope to, to not be righteous, but to crave righteousness with my heart. My only hope is to, to want those things to, to be affected by being enticed into that direction, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so no, I was, that's, that's what, that's what life is. It's like, that's the change of heart. But, that, but that. that's why we're the sermon today. It says, are you asking questions? We can, there was a point in time when um, I don't want to go into this too far. I don't want to get sidetracked, but I, I had some really dark days in my life. And I was seeing a Christian who was trained in counseling. And I asked at one point, something I'll share maybe this more in death, but not today. I asked her at one point, I said, I guess I'm just wondering why. Why is it me sitting here in this chair, not being able to deal with life, asking you questions? Mm-hmm. And she, she, and she said something that freed me from that time forth to, to heal in a lot of ways. And, and she said, you should praise the Lord that you're here asking questions because a lot of people will go through this life and they may have different tools where they can brush off what happens or they may have tools of diligence and perseverance, but, but every a lot of people will go through this life and never ask the questions that need to be answered and they go to their grave like that mm-hmm. if you're if you're finding yourself in a position now where you're asking well why do i continually want to do evil or why why can't i feel the joy of the lord those are things that every human being should be asking 
And so I didn't look at it as a negative anymore, but as a positive. Mm. But we, but we're, we're, uh, maybe we're trained in this world to not, not dive into that and just blindly go through life being enticed one way or the other. But, you know, back to this good point you made, Mike, about our, we kind of focus in on opposition, meaning, hey, there, it's going to pull you down. There's going to be a weight against you. But this idea that you bring up that, um, you know, opposition, if it's equal, it has to be strong to the other side. too. Right. And maybe we're missing that. And like you said, maybe you're, your your questions and things that you brought to a counselor, which I, I think is is wonderful, um, was boy that answer is spot on. It's like no, the right thing is that we all should be doing that, right? And maybe maybe you've brought yourself beyond where so many of us end up, where it's like we we don't even get to those questions. You know, this um, oh, couple scriptures they brought them out in class. I I'm guilty of covering too much ground in class, but this. Um, this hope God gives us in the direction that, hey, the opposition that's good is it's available like a buffet, I suppose. We can stay at the table and not even ever go up. Or we can go, we can sample, or we can take a lot of it too, right? And and this is some of the stuff he says. There's a lot of this available. He says first in Ether chapter 5, 28, I'm going to give you weakness. It's not like, no, you might be weak. No, I'm going to give you weakness. You're going to be humble. Love the scripture. Humble because of it. Read that scripture. Ether. Yeah, the whole thing is Ether five twenty eight. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. You know, I I look at that and it's like, you know, we have to confess that God has built weakness into us, and that through the humility that we have, whether we recognize it or not, once we do recognize that that we're weak. He says this, he says, my grace is sufficient for you that you humble yourself before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. You know, isn't that something when you consider the opposition for mm-hmm. good? When you, when you, so when you take humbling yourself and bring it into context or in this realm of God giving us weakness, because we can say we need to humble ourselves for a lot of reasons, but the fact that God gives us weakness and the only way to overcome that is to humble ourselves is we have to get to the a point that we admit our weakness and no man wants to do that. And when I say man, I'm referring to mankind, no woman, no child, no adult ever wants to admit that they're weak. Yeah. They don't want to admit that, that they just sinned. You know, I, the other day the trash can lid was, uh, I went to throw something away and there's a pizza box jamming the can, the <laughs> lid of the trash can up. Right. And I know I just asked my son to take the pizza box from the basement and take it upstairs and put it in the trash. And one of his few chores he does, you know, at the house is <laughs> to take the trash out when it's full. And so I caught, I, I called him up from the basement. He was working in his little workshop and I said, Hey, did you just throw that pizza box away? What's wrong with this situation? <laughs> and he looks at me, it's just, just human nature. Do you know what he said? Did he, he didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, Dad. I should have took it out. I was being lazy. He said, it wasn't poking out when I was done with it. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He goes, was, so I said, so you jammed it all the way down in there, and the thing's still so full that the pressure popped the box back up and then popped the lid up, but it wasn't full when I put it in there. I, I was able to fit it in there. So. That's what I do to God all day long. Yeah. But but that's a funny thing. But to bring it back to seriousness, 
we have to tie the, the need for humility into the fact that God has given us a weakness so that he can make us strong. Mm-hmm. And that brings me back to what I thought this morning. And people, men stumble because of the, what, the simpleness of the way. It was scripture say, because things are so simple, we stumble. We want something complex. We want this big law of Moses, you know, to, to keep us in line. The answer, Corey, is prayer. There is no other way that we continually can be uh, enticed to lean into the good opposition and leave the evil. We want to lean into the good that's opposing the evil Mm. and prayer. And, and I say this and I almost want like people want something more, but I, as today, as I was asking questions to God, you know, how can I continually go about doing this thing and just not have the desire to change uh, the simple, I just kept coming back to you prayer. And, and it was almost as if the, this, this sentence was put into my mind and this is exactly what it was. You know, that just a whisper of my spirit can change the complete outlook you have of this world. Just a whisper. That was the word that came to my mind. I don't know where that word came from. And I, I was just meditating on that. You know, that just a whisper from my spirit can change your complete outlook in this world. And I thought about the strength that came with that at that time. I was driving around a curb. I know exactly where my car was at. I thought, I'm not afraid of the economy crashing. I'm not afraid of of losing my rights to for free speech. None of that I want to happen. But at that moment, that power was like, this world is so in trouble. God has, there's nothing that's going to, like God could just, he could stop it right now and just correct everything. Mm. He can, like you guys, there's evil has no power. Yes. Yes. Just a whisper from the Holy spirit will change your outlook on everything. It can change the way you see things, the way you crave righteousness, the way you start to hate sin. But that, that spirit has to come through prayer and continually praying to him and reaching out. And then when you say that, just step back a ways and think about how much of the word of God talks about us praying to God and communicating. And if you really want to think about it, what did God show us himself when he came down and took on flesh? What kind of actions did he do? Was he engaged in prayer and how long and how often? Yeah, and then he allowed himself to be spit on. You know, this... Book of Mormon is so beautiful because it describes him as hey, he became subject unto man. You know, the work of his creation, he allowed himself be, to become subservient to so that we could become subject unto him. But that is all in a good sense. You know, we did everything bad to him so that he could give us everything good so that we could dwell with him. You know, this is probably a bad analogy, but um, I'm not a huge TV watcher, but I've realized that movies do a good job anymore of um, plot twisting, I guess is the right word where, you know, in the olden days in the Western, the bad guy was the bad guy from the beginning. There was no question about it. And the good guy was always the good guy, you know, the sheriff with a white suit on right. in, the, in the star, <laughs> you know, but anymore I watch uh, shows where, you know, 
you as a viewer, you're enticed into believing the the person who you think is the villain or the antagonist, you know, the bad guy through the through the movie. In the end, you find out you had it wrong, and he was really good. And it, 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 all the circumstances of the movie made him seem like you thought you knew it, but you were wrong, and it wasn't him. It, it wasn't he wasn't the the robber, the killer, the unfaithful, the whatever. He was actually working uh, for good. You just didn't see it in the beginning. That's coming back to this point you make, Mike, about where people say, you know, how come God allows all these bad things to happen? And and doubters cause the faithful to doubt when they hear that because we don't have the rebuttal. But in the end, I think we're going to find out when this life is over, like times a million, God was this good guy always working on our behalf. And while we were unaware, as the movie viewers are, until the end, that, no, he was really good. I had it wrong. That he's that times a million in our behalf. So we don't have to accept the premise of this question if your God was so good, Mike Barrett, why did he allow this to happen? Yeah, the answer is very simply, so I could be happy. So, yes, so you yes. can be happy. Yes, and so and, you can have joy. So you can have joy. And 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 it sounds flippant. It does. It does. But it's it's the truth. And beyond that, what we find is that he's been teaching us all along that if he didn't come and take on flesh and into this world of crime and bad things and hatred that we would have been stuck in existence like this, but a thousand times worse forever. And his point is, you are going to be in this opposition where there are bad things in this life of evil around you, where bad things even do happen to good people. But he said, but I've done the work to make sure you don't have to spend eternity like that. And and that's the part we miss, is that he's already worked and working on our behalf to make sure this isn't our life forever. And that's the beautiful promise we have through salvation. Right, because Adam and Eve, I don't okay, so I'm going to say this, and I don't even know if it's correct. So I would say Adam and Eve were dwelling in eternity with God. There was no death affixed at this point. They were dwelling in eternity with God, yet had no joy or happiness. Right, right. If they had joy or happiness and were dwelling in eternity with God and they were having joy and happiness at that point, then God is a liar or his word is wrong because he said they fell so that men may have joy. Yes. Adam and Eve, there's an interesting statement in the fourth chapter of Genesis that's only in the inspired version, but they, they both reflect on this. And when they're, they're understanding Jesus' words about how, um, well, let me just read it. It's from Genesis chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 and 11. The Holy Ghost fell upon Adam, and he bare record of the Father and the Son, saying, I am the only begotten of the Father from beginning, and that as you have fallen, you may be redeemed, and all mankind, even as many as will, so just like you fall, and he said, there's a chance to come back and for you and forevermore. And in that day, Adam blessed God and was filled and began to prophesy concerning the families of the earth. And he blessed God. And he says this, which is criticized by critics of the Book of Mormon. But he said, because of my transgressions, my eyes are open. Now, he's not like lauding sin, like making, oh, good thing we sinned. But but yet he realizes what he's what he's praising is, is there's a way back. It's not that he's praising so much, oh, good thing I fell away from God. You know, life is sure a lot better now that I have to work by the sweat of my brow and I'm worried if my wife's going to make it through childbearing, you know, all these, all these things. Mm-hmm. 
he was he was praising God that there was a way back. He says, "Blessed be the name of God, for because of my transgressions, my eyes are open. In this life, I shall have joy again, and in the flesh, I shall see God." Those were things that you know weren't weren't going to happen be, without the atonement. But why Eve says this, and Eve, his wife, heard all these things and was glad, saying. Were it not for our transgression, we should have never had seed. So children, we should have never known good and evil and the joy of our redemption and the eternal life which God gives to all the obedient. And isn't that interesting that, you know, again, they, like you say. Read that last part again. Yeah. We, 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 we would not have, go ahead and read what we, you said. We, we never should have had seed. Yeah, children. Never should have known good and evil. And the joy of our redemption. So the, the fact joy of, of our, our redemption. redemption. The, the fact that, hey, we're going to be able to be back with God. But in the eternal life which God gives to the obedient, you know, we, we don't have enough information about um, this Adam and Eve garden state. I mean, it's not that we shouldn't ask questions, but we, we don't know what existence meant in the sense that, what, they couldn't have children and they really didn't know happiness no, but the Book of Mormon, the message of the Book of Mormon completely uh, brings what we need to know that they fell so that we would have joy, and men are that they may have joy. Right, right. They fell so that men would be, and men are that they might have joy. And and it comes back to this word, Mike. I think, you know, as, as you're saying this, I'm thinking it comes back to this word that men, women, humanity, this whole creation had to face enticement in order to be able to enjoy eternity in eternity Mm -hmm. and that's what it ultimately meant and that's what summarizes the why was the bad tree in the garden question is because ultimately as the book of mormon so clearly defines we had to face enticement and in that garden state they would never face enticement so all humanity was locked in limbo to not be able to know joy to you know we we don't know what it says the spirit of man was with god in the beginning but it doesn't mean we were living a life of perfect happiness and then we just had to you know pull off the highway and go on this dirty no i think it says the exact opposite if if men had to fall so that they could have joy then i I have to say that means that there wasn't joy there wasn't happiness without the fall right right and 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 without like the scripture so cleanly states if if they didn't know the bitter they wouldn't know the sweet Mm -hmm. you know god knowing all things, wanted his creation to be able to participate with him in a in a fullness of joy, which only could happen if we faced enticement. So the um, what we're experiencing in the world, all of the sadness, the families that fall apart, the marriages that break up, the uh, elections that um, uh, cause such polarizing hatred among Americans, among each other, um, the, the racism, whether it exists or not, to the extent that it's stirred up by the media, all of these things, all of these things are a result of men falling and experiencing what happens when you live under the rule of men and not under the rule of God. Yeah. God, from the beginning, I mean, I hope if nothing else that we learn in this world that God's up there saying, do you see what happens when you do it your way? Yeah. I am the only source of love. I'm the only source of truth. I'm the only source of righteousness. I'm the only source of uh, unfettered judgment. I'm the only source of all mercy and grace. And when you step outside of me and and decide to insert your will into 
anything, this is the result. Look at the world. Yes. Look at the world. Yes. They, he said today in his sermon, you know, the, I don't know what the death toll is of COVID right now in America. Is it over 500,000? Is it 600? Have you seen anything? All the news sites took it off when, COVID, when Biden got elected. No, seriously. No, they, I, don't, I don't watch the news I, at I, all. Right. I don't even try to. Well, yeah. Facebook, most of the news I followed has been taken off. Yeah, so right. I really don't know where we're at. But he said today when he, he had gone to Rwanda to do some ministry. Mm. And he said he didn't even realize until... 2000 or so that there had been a genocide there in 1994 oh, we're isolated from that so hundreds of thousands yeah. of people killed by other men with the intention of killing them he talked about a young boy in his 20s that he met over there that lost his whole family yes. like wasn't just dad was killed like his whole family wiped out yes. by the government or by the, the the powers that were trying to take over that's genocide i mean that's not a virus that just is doing what it was what it does and and randomly takes people and and some of them die but there's no evil intent there it's it's the result of fallen man but for mankind's hearts to go and kill thousands hundreds of thousands of people in a few in a short period of time and then we step back and Think about this pandemic and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people losing their lives, which is absolutely tragic. But think of the evil intent in man's heart doing yeah, the same which thing. Is, which is far worse. And even the fact that biological things go astray and, you know, DNA can have defects and all these things. Those are also the physical result of, of sin in the world, too, in a sense that when sin entered in, the equations of all these things being spiritual and their type as a physical all got kind of flustered, and this is the thing that God again is going to save us from. You know, um, I, I don't know. I just I love our conversation. Let me keep like, going. We can always make it a two part. I just make feel this like a two part. Yeah, 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 I'm good with that too. We're, you know, because I, and I apologize. You know, I, the classes have been a little short because of the COVID schedule, and I've been guilty of cramming too much stuff in. And I, I just like even in today's class, what I really just wanted to do is just open the word and go through it. When I thought well, I've kind of created this presentation and I probably need to go through this. And, and it's like, I just love it when we sit down and open the, open the scriptures and talk about what the word says because that's where the real spirit comes. You know?